الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين So today insha'Allah ta'ala is the last part of the tafsir of Surah Al-Balad The last part of the tafsir of Surah Al-Balad And we reach the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal ثُمَّ كَانَ مِنَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالصَّبْرِ وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالْمَرْحَمَةِ First of all, we have to go back and remind ourselves where we were last time. So we had spoken about the statement of Allah Azza And does anyone remember what we said the Aqaba is? It's a route, it's a road that goes through the mountains. And why is it that Allah Azza wa described this life when Allah Azza wa said, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدْ We created mankind in a suffering and trials and hardships. And then Allah said, Allah said, فَلَقَتَ حَمَلْ عَقَبَةِ What's the relation of the Aqaba to the trials of this life and the difficulties? Why did Allah not describe it as a sirat or a tariq, a road? Why describe it as a Aqaba? Very good. So you're going to encounter a lot of difficulties. It's going to be a hard struggle. It's not an easy path all the time. It's a clear path. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ, he said, تَرَكْتُكُمْ عَلَى الْبَيْضَةِ I left you upon a clear path. لَيْلُهَا كَنَهَارِهَا لَا يَزِيغُ عَنْهَا إِلَّا هالك. Nobody diverts away from it except the one who is destroyed. So it's not about the path not being clear. But it's not a simple road that you never have a difficulty sometimes you have to struggle you have to strive it's a it's a road through the mountains and also it's a road that has many uh, you can say diversions from it like allah uh, told us this is the path of Allah, the straight path of Allah. This is the straight path of Allah. So follow it. And don't follow any of the other paths. Which means that on this path, there are paths that lead off to the left and the right. Like the Prophet ﷺ, he drew one day in the sand, he drew a straight line. And then he drew from this many other lines. And he explained to us that this straight line is the path of Allah. And the other lines, there is a shaitan on the corner of every path who is calling you to go away from the straight path. So the path is a path which has some difficulties on it. Then Allah said, And will you not cross over this path? Will you not go over this mountain pass? And what will make you know how to cross this mountain? How will you go through this difficult path? Then Allah mentions some of the deeds that will take you safely across this mountain path. Allah said, فَكُّ رَقَبَةً Freeing a slave. أَوْ 
or feeding the people at a time when the food is little, a day of famine. Yatiman, the an orphan who is near to you in relation, or a poor person who it is as if they have nothing but dust. As if the only thing they have is turab. They own nothing at all. Then Allah Azawajal told us, The word thumma in the tafsir comes with two meanings. And we've got to ask ourselves which of the two meanings is correct here and why. So it comes with the meaning of ta'qib, one thing following another. So you say, for example, Ja'a Muhammadun thumma Zaid. This is for a tartib, for coming in order. So Muhammad came and then Zaid came. So here, thumma, in English, we would say then. Ja'a Muhammadun, Muhammad came, thumma Zaid. Then Zaid came. And Zaid came after Muhammad. And that's the normal meaning of thumma. Does that meaning here work in the ayah? Does it make sense? Thumma kana min alladhina amanu. Then the person is from those who believe. You have to give a reason for what you say. And we want to hear from, from the people watching on YouTube as well. That's why we have a live stream so that they can contribute and they can tell us what they think. Then the person was from those who believed. Then the person was from those who believed. Thumma. Then after that, the person was from those who believed. Does it work, that meaning of thumma? If so, why? And if not, why not? They're thinking about it. Okay, anyone here got any ideas? And then you have to believe after that. No, no, you made a good, I'm just, I'm just, you made a very good point. It's a very good point. So you said like, as if those things are to fulfill your iman. Yani after doing those things, you will become from the people of iman. Like that. It'll increase your iman. That's a very, it's not a bad, that's not a bad suggestion. It's not a bad suggestion. Are we all agreed that it can't be the case that Iman comes after those things? I mean, in the sense of you can't become a believer after you've fed the orphan and looked after the poor person and then you become a Muslim. You have to be a Muslim first, right? Otherwise, those deeds would not be accepted. Yes, what are they, what are they saying? Somebody who didn't attempt the path. Yeah, in the sense that I think the concern is that what you shouldn't understand from this ayah is that iman comes after good deeds. Iman is a prerequisite of good deeds. You can't have those good deeds will not be accepted from you unless you have iman. So the meaning of the ayah here is not tartib in the sense that iman comes after 
those things. Not in, that, not in a direct sense anyway. Yes, we could, we could look at it in the sense of those things complete your iman and increase your iman. But to say, ثُمَّ كَانَ مِنَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا doesn't mean, ثُمَّ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ كَانَ مِنَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Then after doing all of those things, the person became from those who believe. Because those things are not conditions of aslul iman, right? They don't, they're not the foundation of iman that if you don't feed a poor person, you're not a Muslim. Right? It's not the case that if you if, if I feed a poor person, I'm a Muslim, and if I don't feed a poor person, then I'm not a Muslim. It's from Al Imanul Wajib, from the obligatory actions of Iman, or from Al Imanul Mustahab, depending on whether you talk about zakah or sadaqah. It's from the Iman which is obligatory or the Iman which is recommended. So in other words, in Iman we have three three levels, right? We have the basic part of Iman. And by the basic part of Iman, we mean what makes you a Muslim. The thing, the basic level that this is what makes you a Muslim. فَشَهَادَ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهُ And you bring the conditions of that shahada, you bring the, the requirements of it. This makes you a Muslim. Then you have what we call Al-Iman Al-Wajib, the obligatory Iman. This doesn't take you outside of Islam, but it's what you have to do, right? Like you have to pay your zakah and you have to do hajj if you have the financial ability and so on. Then we have al-iman al-mustahab, recommended iman, which is all the voluntary good deeds. And if you want to call this Islam and iman and ihsan, you can call it like that, you can make it like that. That Islam is the basic requirement and iman are the things you have to do and ihsan are the sunan and the voluntary the voluntary deeds. That's one way. Otherwise, the word Islam and Iman have many different ways of looking at it. Not all the same. But one way you can look at it is to say Islam is the minimum and Iman is what you have to do and Ihsan is what is above what you have to do, like what is recommended. So here, feeding a poor person is either from the middle one or either from the last one. Feeding a poor person, it's either zakah and you have to do it, or it's sadaqah and it's recommended to do. So it doesn't remove iman from a person if they don't do it. It doesn't make a person kafir if they don't do it. But whenever you don't do something that Allah commanded you to do, your iman goes down. And whenever you do something that Allah commanded you to do, your iman goes up. Yazidu bi wa bil It goes up with good deeds and it goes down with sins, right? Okay, so we had a little bit of understanding now that thumma here doesn't mean that it follows on from. But the meaning of thumma here, it is not for a tartib fil zamani, but the meaning of what thumma here is uh, is that a person, how can we explain it? The, and the meaning is, and, and furthermore, and in addition to that, that's, what the, that's the best way you can translate it into English. Furthermore, or in addition to that. So here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us something about the conditions of our deeds being accepted. 
So we've all agreed that feeding a poor person is a good deed, looking after the orphan is a good deed, and freeing the slave is a good deed. And it's either obligatory or it's either mustahab, depending on the situation of the person or what have you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us a little bit about what it takes for our actions to be accepted. What does it take for our actions to be accepted by Allah? The first thing it takes is, it takes Islam. And we can take this from the statement of Allah amanu. It takes Islam. Because Allah doesn't accept any deeds from a person until that person brings the, the foundation of those deeds, which is La ilaha illallah. And that's why Aisha radiallahu anha, she asked about a man, and that man was known in the time of Jahiliyyah, time before Islam, to be a very generous person. To be a very generous person. Very, very generous. And they asked the Prophet ﷺ about this person. What's his situation? And Allah didn't accept any of his deeds because he never ever said, Oh Allah, forgive me for my sins on the day of resurrection. In other words, he didn't bring Islam. So all of those good deeds didn't matter. Now why this is really important is, this is a really, really good response for yourself. It's a very good response to when atheists talk to you about human values. And I'm sure you've had this conversation if you involved sometimes in da'wah or if you sometimes talk to people about Islam. People will say, look, I'm good to my neighbor. I'm good to my parents. I care about people. Why are you going to, you know, blame me because I just don't believe in God, right? Like I, I take care of the poor people. A Christian says, why should I become Muslim? At the end of the day, love thy neighbor. I love my neighbor and I, you know, and I, I, I'm good to people and I feed the poor and I look after the needy. But Allah Azza wa Jal made that iman a condition for those deeds to be accepted. You can free all the slaves you want, but if you didn't bring iman, it's not going to benefit you. It might benefit them. It's going to benefit the slave. The slave is freed and they get to live their, their life. But it doesn't benefit you unless you brought Iman with it. You might be so good to your neighbors, but it doesn't benefit you to be good to your neighbors if you made a partner with Allah. It's good for your neighbors, but it doesn't benefit you. And that's why generally these people, the only thing they look at is the relationship between Bani Adam. Are you good to your neighbor? Are you good to your friends? Are you good to your parents? And they don't look at the relationship between you and Allah. And the saddest thing is that so many people in da'wah, they start to give da'wah to Islam like this. When you ask them what's good about Islam, they say, well, Islam tells you to be good to your neighbor. And Islam tells you to be good to your parents. And Islam tells you to keep ties with your relatives. But atheists do that. They don't do it like Muslims do, but... You're not giving really the difference between Islam and other people. You're giving some of the mahasin good things about Islam, but you're not really getting to the point. You have to believe in your Lord. It's your relationship with Allah. We're talking about here. 
And yes, if your relationship with Allah is good, your relationship with everyone else is going to be good. And yes, if you, if you are a Muslim, you're going to be better towards your parents and your neighbors and your community and your friends and so on because you're following the guidance from Allah about those things. But that's not what differentiates between the people of Jannah and the people of the fire is not the fact that you are nice to your neighbors or not. What really differentiates between people is who you worship. So how can a person talk all about the rights of creation and not talk about the rights of the creator? And if you look at Surah Al-Bala, this is just one of the many examples in the Quran where Allah Azza wa Jal joins between the rights of creation and the rights of the creator. So what's going to get you over the mountain pass? فَكُرَقَبَ Freeing a slave. إِطْعَامٌ فِي يَوْمٍ ذِي Giving out food when the people are needy. You're giving it to the, you're looking after the yatim, you're looking after the miskeen. All of that is from حقوق ibad, looking after people. But none of that is going to benefit you to get over the mountain pass unless you're from the people of Iman. Because Allah Azza wa Jal, one of the things we learn about tawheed wa shirk is that if a person makes a partner with Allah, one of the rulings, one of the outcomes of making a partner with Allah is hubut al-amal. All your deeds are rendered null and void. Everything good you have ever done is just wiped out like that. Gone. Allah Azza wa Jal told us, قَدِمْنَا إِلَى مَا عَمِلُوا مِنْ عَمَلٍ فَجَعَلْنَاهُ هَبَاءً مَنْثُورًا We came to what they have put forward, the deeds they put forward, and we made it into dust, scattered dust. Allah Azza wa Jal said to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam وَلَقَدْ أُوحِيَ إِلَيْكَ وَإِلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبَلِكَ لَإِنْ أَشْرَكْتَ لَيَحْبَطَنَّ عَمَلُكَ وَلَتَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ O Messenger of Allah, if you, with your prophethood, if you made a partner with Allah, we would wipe out everything good you have ever done. Your prophethood gone, your, your good deeds gone, everything good you ever did, we will wipe it out. Allah said that to the Prophet ﷺ. We have revealed to you, in the singular, you, one person, that if you made a partner with Allah, we would wipe out everything good that you ever did. So at the end of the day, yes, Islam looks at حقوق ibad. Islam looks at looking after people as a way to get Jannah. But if the only thing you're doing is looking after other people, you're very good for the people, but you're no good between you and Allah. And you're not going to get over that mountain pass by looking after people if you don't bring it with Iman. And that's not mentioned in just Surah Al-Balad. That is mentioned as a theme throughout the whole Qur'an. Look after the poor, look after the needy, be good to you. And look at Christianity now. Christianity now became nothing but حقوق ibad They have no aqidah anymore. Nothing, zero, not even, they don't even have belief in Jesus anymore as their aqidah. They don't believe in anything except just being good to your neighbor and being nice to people. That's not what Islam is about. You bring iman and then you bring huquq al-ibad. You bring faith, you correct what's between you and Allah and then you look out for people and you're kind to people. You bring those two together. As for bringing the rights of people and ignoring the rights of Allah, then how if Allah created you and can we not bring evidence from Surah Al-Balad for this? أَلَمْ نَجْعَلْ لَهُ عَيْنَيْنِ وَلِسَانًا وَشَفَتَيْنِ وَهَدَيْنَاهُ النَّجَدَيْنِ فَلَقَتْ حَمَلْ أَقَبَةً 
Didn't we make for this person two eyes and a tongue and two lips? Then the only thing they care about is huquq al-ibad. The only thing they care about is being nice to your neighbor and good to the people who pass you in the street. After Allah is the one who gave your eyes and Allah is the one who gave your tongue. By what are you being good to people? You're being good to them with the tongue that Allah created. With the hand that Allah created for you. With the lips that Allah created for you. Then you ignore Allah and you only care about being good to the people. So this is important that we understand that we have to look at both of these aspects. We have to take care of what is between us and Allah and what is between us and the people. And there's many times, wallah, you'd be surprised I'm talking about other religions. But in reality, many Muslims have completely lost this concept. That's why when you say, well, they say, wallah, I'm a good Muslim. You say, okay, what makes you a good Muslim? They say, wallah, I'm a really good Muslim because I do. And they mention things they do for other people. Then the person was from the people of Iman. From the people of Iman. And that tells us that the only way to get over the Aqaba, to get over the mountain pass, is to be a person of Iman. There's one more point about the alladhina amanu. Two points I want to raise, general points about the word iman. First of all, what's the difference between Islam and iman? Who can give me a nice jawab mufassal, a nice detailed, daqiq, precise answer for this one? Allah here mentioned what? Iman, he didn't mention Islam here, right? So when does one, what does one mean and when does that mean that and what, how do I... When I cross, come across the word Iman on its own here, does it mean obligatory deeds? Does it mean Islam? Does it mean voluntary deeds? Does it mean all of them? Does it mean some of them? When we come across the word Iman by itself or when we come across the word Islam by itself... What about when we come across Iman and good deeds? What's the difference between them? The ulama, they say, that the word Islam and Iman are words that when they come together, they go apart, and when they go apart, they come together. We'll do that one more time. The word Islam and Iman are two words. When they are apart, they come together. And when they're together, they go apart. What that means is, when you find them on their own, they bring the meaning of both. And when you find them together in the same sentence, each one has its own meaning. So if you find Islam and Iman in a sentence, Islam means something and Iman means something else. But if you find one of them on their own, then both of the two meanings are there. So for example, when Allah said, Islam, the only religion in the sight of Allah is Islam, this covers Islam and it covers Iman. And when Allah says, talks about the mu'min, this covers the Muslim. The word is Muslim, mu'min means the same thing when it comes on its own. So here, the meaning here is encompasses Islam and Iman, both. But when they come together in the same sentence, then it depends. Each one has its own 
meaning. Either Islam is the base and Iman is the obligatory deeds, or Islam is the outward actions and Iman is the, are, are the actions you do in your heart, and so on. So like the hadith of Jibreel, Islam came to mean the, the things you do, the things you do on the outside, and the actions you take, the actions you take. And likewise, Iman came to refer to the things that you believe on the inside. But in reality, if you just mention one of those words, it covers both of those things. And actions are a part of Iman, right? Iman is made up of what? Iman's made up of five things. What five things is Iman made of? Let's make it easier. Iman's made up of three things, first of all. What three things is Iman made up of? Okay, lovely. So Iman, what comes into your, what you believe in your heart and what your tongue professes and what your actions, your limbs do. So Iman is i'tiqadun wa qawlun wa amal. So it's what you believe and it's what you say and it's what you do. All of those are a part of Iman. If we want to expand Iman into five things, how do we break those three into five? How do we cut it up? We said generally, belief, statement, action. But what about if we want to make it into, into more than that? We want to be really detailed. So this is where the ulama, they say, the first thing is that we can break it up into statements of the heart and statements of the tongue. And actions of the heart and actions of the tongue and actions of the limbs. Okay. Stay with me. We'll get there in the end. Inshallah. Statements of the heart. What do we mean by a statement of your heart? Qawlul qalb. Yeah, that's nearly, you're nearly there with that one. That's what you believe, right? It's like your statement as if your heart had a manifesto, right? As if your heart had like, this is what I believe. Number one, number two, number three. This is qawlul qalb. It's your aqidah. It's what you believe in your heart, what you believe to be true. I believe in Allah. I believe in the angels. I, this is the statement your heart makes. It's as if your heart said, I'm going to give you a breakdown of what I believe. One, two, three, four, five. That's qawlul qalb. What about qawl al-lisan? What your tongue says. Your statements of your tongue. What about the statements of your tongue? Very good, shahada. So this is what your tongue expresses what it believes. So your heart has got some, some things that it believes and your tongue says it. This is not dhikr, it's not... It's when your tongue verbalizes that belief that is in your heart. By the shahada, ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna muhammad rasulullah. Right. Now what about the actions of the heart? Niyya. So niyya is one. Let's see how many actions of the heart can we get. Just quick fire, just shout them out, many as you can think of. Niyya, Sheikh Jawhar gave us niyya, intention. That's an action of the heart. 
Is it something your limb does? Is it something your tongue does? Should, tongue shouldn't do it. Some people do. Allahumma inni usalli arba'a raka'atin khalfa hadha al-imam muttajihan lil-qibla. Oh Allah, I'm praying for raka'at behind this imam facing Makkah. No, no, it's something that your heart does. Even in Hajj and Umrah, the tongue is only sunnah to say it on the tongue. What matters is the heart. Mahabba, love. Love something is not something, love's not something you do with your hands. Love is not something you do with your tongue. Love is an action in your heart. Fear, hope, tawakkul. Okay, good. We've got some examples of actions of the heart. Tawakkul, uh, reliance, hope, fear. These are actions of the heart. Okay, what about actions of the tongue? We said statements of the tongue is primarily the shahadatayn. When you're expressing what is the belief that you have in your heart, you're verbalizing it. You're taking that belief from your heart and you're making it into words. But what about the other actions of the tongue? Like dhikr, reciting the Quran, like saying a good word, kalimatun tayyibah, saying a nice word to somebody. These are actions of the tongue. And what about the last one, actions of the limbs? There are many things in that. So if you've learned that about Iman, what's the virtue of Salah? The virtue of Salah is that prayer goes into all of them. So our prayer falls into action of the heart, an action of the tongue, and actions of the limbs, for example. It's one of the comprehensive deeds that has every part of your Iman is involved in it. So that's a, that's a little bit about the concept of Iman. All of this is included in the statement of Allah So here when Allah says آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ We already covered this in the tafsir of Surah Al-Asr. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ The meaning of this is not that the deeds are separate from the Iman. It's not that Iman is something and your Amal Salih is something else. This is mentioning a type of something after mentioning it generally. For example, example in the Quran is often given. Man kana aduwan lillahi wa malaikatihi wa rusulihi wa jibril wa mikal. Whoever is an enemy to Allah and his angels and his messengers and Jibreel and Mikal. But hold on, is Jibreel not an angel? Jibreel is an angel. Mikal is an angel. Jibreel is a messenger. And given them, delivering the message from Allah So why did Allah mention Jibreel and Mikal when they were already included first? Because this is an example of a specific reason. Give you an even easier example. You alone we worship and you alone we ask for help. Asking for help is a type of worship. But it's mentioned for a particular reason. So when Allah mentions al-Iman wal-Amal al-Salih, when Allah mentions Iman and Allah mentions good deeds, the reason for that is not because good deeds are separate from Iman, but because there's a need to emphasize the value of those good deeds among all the different parts of Iman uh, and we talked about that in Surah Al-Asr okay so here Amal Salih is not mentioned but it's included in the word Iman included in that is doing good deeds two good deeds are mentioned here we mentioned about it in Surah Al-Asr we said Tawasi is 
mutual advice. So it's different from nasiha slightly. Because nasiha is like you can give nasiha to someone and they might not give it back to you, right? But tawasi, the, the, the verb here of tafa'ul here, this is tafa'ala, uh, is to do something mutually. And you do it and I do it. We, we exchange. To exchange advice. And exchanging advice is one of the most fundamental things that Muslims need to do. The Prophet said, this religion is giving good advice. To be honest, the word nasiha here doesn't really mean good advice. It's actually not a very good translation to say it means good advice. It actually means acting sincerely towards someone. Because that's why, how, how do you advise Allah? You can't advise Allah. You can't advise Allah. But what it means is to act sincerely towards Because when you're giving someone advice Why are you giving somebody advice? Because of your desire of you know, Your sincerity towards them You want good for them, right? So that feeling of behaving in a sincere way That's what's meant by Ad-Din al-Nasiha This religion is about behaving sincerely To whom, O Messenger of Allah? To Allah, to his book, to his messenger Behaving sincerely so Allah told us about this tawasi, that the, the Muslims encourage one another, advise one another. Here the tawasi is bisabr. This already came in Surah Al-Asr. Advising each other to have sabr. Sabr, we mentioned, is of three major types. The first type of patience is patience in doing good deeds. The second type is patience in keeping away from sins. And the third type is being patient in the face of what Allah decrees for you to happen from the difficulties. All of them are intended here. But the one that is especially, especially, uh, in fact, to be honest, all of the, you can look at all of them. You can find all of them in the surah. You can find all of them there. So when Allah said, you cross in the mountain pass. That crossing the mountain pass requires sabr in the face of the difficulties that Allah decrees for you. Allah decrees certain things to happen to you as a test, a trial, certain problems, certain difficulties. You have to be patient with those difficulties. We created man in this toil and, and struggle. This tells us that we need to have sabr Patience in the face of what Allah decrees for us Difficulties, hardships, troubles, problems, so on Sabr upon doing good deeds This is also found in the same surah فَكُّ رَقَبَةً أَوْ إِطْعَامٌ فِي يَوْمٍ ذِي مَسْخَبَةً يَتِيمًا ذَا مَقْرَبَةً أَوْ مِسْكِينًا ذَا مَتْرَبَةً tells us about having sabr in doing good deeds. And if you want to cross that mountain pass, you are going to need to be patient in doing good deeds. Giving charity requires patience. It's not easy. Shaitan comes to you and tells you your money's going to go down, you're going to lose your money, you're going to become poor, just give it next month, don't not this month, don't give too much. Why you put? Shaitan tells you these things. So it requires sabr to do those good deeds. And sabr to keep away from 
sins and disobedience to Allah Azza wa Jal, sabr in keeping away from what Allah made haram. And you can take this from the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, وَهَدَيْنَاهُ وَهَدَيْنَاهُ We showed him the path of good and the path of evil. We showed him the two paths. So when Allah showed you the path of evil, it requires sabr for you to keep away from that path of evil. And when Allah showed you the path of good, it requires sabr to stay upon that path of good. And a Muslim is always trying to train themselves. That's why you have tawasi. You keep telling each other to have sabr because you train yourself to have sabr. Right? It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally to a person. Mankind is generally ajul, always trying to rush, race into do things that are not good for you. Mankind is hasty. Mankind is often ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So patience is, is something you have to train yourself. You don't get patience overnight and you don't get it all the time. So one of the things that trains you to have patience is tawasi. Everyone is sharing with each other, showing each other, demonstrating in your character, in your personality to be patient. You're patient with other people and they learn to be patient and you tell them and they tell you and you're each all encouraging each other to be patient. And being patient doesn't mean being patient just in the sense of how we say in English, oh, be patient. In other words, wait until the qadr that you are, you know, what you're asking Allah, wait until Allah gives it to you. But patience also, you know, keep coming to the masjid every day. Don't come and then stop going. You know, keep away from that haram that is tempting for you. All of that is patience. You keep, everyone is advising each other to be, to have that patience. And you're going to need that sabr to cross over this mountain pass. You're going to need all of those types of sabr. You're going to need the sabr, which is the sabr of uh, keeping away from haram. Because if you go into the haram, it's going to take you away from if you follow those other paths, the haram path is going to take you away from the path of Allah. You're going to go off the mountain path, you're going to go somewhere else. And likewise, you're going to need sabr in doing good deeds because it's a climb up a mountain. You're climbing up a mountain. It's a road. It's not your, you're not climbing on the rocks. Yani. You've got a road, but it's a climb. It's steep. There's boulders, there's stones. You have to be patient to get over, get to the top. And sometimes Allah is going to put tests for you. The one who created death and life to test you which of you is best in deeds. You're going to have tests sometimes. Sometimes you're not going to get the right, make the right choices. You're going to, have to, you're going to fall down. You're going to have to get back up and go start again. So you're going to need patience. And they advise each other to be merciful. They act mercifully because tawasi can be to act towards someone. So you have patience with other people and they have patience with you. That's part of tawasi. It's not just advice. Tawasi is not just me saying to you, Akhi, isbir, 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 have patience. It's not just that. Behaving patiently And then other people behave patiently And behaving mercifully 
The Prophet وسلم, and Ibn, Ibn Kathir تعالى, when he made the tafsir of the, the ayah, he mentioned, Ar-Rahimuna yarhamuhum ar-Rahman Irhamu man fil ard Yarhamkum man fil sama the, the merciful people, the most merciful will have mercy on them. People who are merciful, the most merciful will have mercy on them. Allah will have mercy on people who are merciful. Irhamu man fil ard Be merciful towards who is on the earth. Yarhamkum man fil sama The one in the heavens will be merciful to you. Now if you think about this hadith, the word man... Here is min al-fadl umum, like the scholars of usul al-fiqh, they say it's a general word, it covers everything. Be merciful to everything on the earth. Everything on the earth. Be merciful to everything and everyone. It's not just about being merciful to your friends or even to the Muslims. What was it the Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said? He said the Ahl sunnah are the most knowledgeable of the people about Allah and the most merciful of the people towards creation. And how strange is it you see in Ahl sunnah people who are, they have shiddah, they're too harsh with people. That doesn't mean you don't defend your religion. But be a person who is from the signs of iman is that you have rahmah. You have mercy towards people. And we know that Allah Allah said, In Surah An-Nur, Allah said to Abu Bakr, Forgive and overlook. Do you not want Allah to forgive you? If you want Allah to have mercy on you, you need to be merciful towards other people. And that mercy has fiqh to it. It's not mercy doesn't mean that, you know, someone is doing something haram and you let them go. That's not merciful to them. That's why when Allah described qisas, which is retribution, right? The hand for the hand, the eye for the eye, and the tooth for the tooth, and a life for a life. Allah said, وَلَكُمْ فِي الْقِصَاسِ حَيَاتٌ There is life for you in retribution. When you kill the one who kills someone else, this brings life to the community. It saves people from being killed. And it brings about mercy to the community. So um, when I say mercy, I don't mean mercy means that everything you let it go and you don't ever, you know, you don't apply the rules of Islam to anyone or anything like that. That's not merciful, but be a person who is a person who is merciful to other people. And this will encourage people to be merciful to each other. And Allah will be merciful to you because of this mercy. This also tells us this marhama mentioned in the ayah. It tells us that to cross the mountain pass, you need to have rahma. You can't cross it with, you know, qaswatul qalb, hard heart. And look at how Allah criticized the people who came before you. أَلَمْ يَأْنِ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَن تَخْشَعَ قُلُوبُهُمْ لِذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَمَا نَزَلَ مِنَ الْحَقِّ Hasn't the time come for those who believe for their hearts to become soft by the remembrance of Allah and what has been revealed to them for the truth? Don't be like the people who were given the book before you 
And then th- the time period went on and their hearts became hard. Then your hearts became hard after that. They became like stones or even harder than stones. And here there is a link between that and between the yatim. Because one of the ways you soften the heart is by looking after the yatim. In fact, generally by looking after people and generally like being good towards people if you have iman and you're good towards people, this is from the things which softens the heart. Giving food to the poor people is something that brings about rahmah. When you show rahmah towards those people, so Allah shows rahmah towards you and makes your heart soft. Makes your heart soft. ثُمَّ كَانَ مِنَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالصَّبَرِ وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالْمَرْحَمَةِ Also the fact that these two things are highlighted along with Iman shows the importance of those things in the sight of Allah. Because remember, every good deed you do is part of Iman. So it would have been sufficient to say, ثُمَّ كَانَ مِنَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Full stop. But when Allah mentioned, it shows the importance of patience and mercy in achieving this goal. That's why Allah highlighted these two things aside from all the other things in Iman, all the good deeds that are part of Iman, Allah highlighted the sabr and the rahmah because of the need of them in the, or on the path to Jannah. And Allah also mentioned in many ayat of the Quran the people who are not merciful towards others and how this is a description of those who disbelieve. And that doesn't mean that not being merciful is disbelief, but it's what you find among the disbelievers. In surah, many surahs of the Quran, kalla bal, uh, not no, I'm thinking of Allah Azza said. Uh, for example, Allah Azza told us, uh, Have you seen the one who disbelieves in the resurrection? What do you expect from that person? What do you expect? What's your expectation? From the person who doesn't believe in the resurrection. That's the one who doesn't look after the orphan. Pushes the orphan away. And they don't encourage each other and they don't work to feed the poor people. So have you seen the connection between this and the rahmah? That not having that rahmah towards Allah's creation, that is from the sifat of those people who disbelieve. It's from the description of the people who don't believe. Rather, you don't look after the orphan. And you don't work together encouraging each other to feed the poor people. That doesn't mean that someone who's like this is not a Muslim, but we're saying that it's not the characteristic of a Muslim because the characteristic of a Muslim is Rahmah. 
وتواصوا بالصبر وتواصوا بالمرحمة أولئك أصحاب الميمنة They are the people of the right الميمنة They're also called أصحاب اليمين The people of the right hand Why are they called the people of the right or the people of the right hand? One of three reasons, or more, but we give three of them and they're all very same or similar. They're either called Al-Yameen because of the virtue of the right hand and that the right hand is the one that It's the one that does all of the good deeds, right? Like generally speaking, it's the, the right hand is the hand that is associated directly with the good deeds. Or because of al-yumn. Because of al-yumn meaning al-barakah. In the word yameen also refers to something being having barakah. Something having barakah, we also use the word yameen. Or because they are the people who are given the books in their right hand. As for the one who's given their book in their right hand. So either because of the virtue of the right hand and the right hand side being the side the Prophet used to prefer a tayammun. He used to prefer to do the things with his right-hand side in everything, except for izalatun najasat, except for removing the unclean things. He used to prefer his right-hand side in everything that he did. He used to prefer his right-hand side. Or because of al-yuman, meaning al-barakah, because they are the people of barakah, they're the people of blessings, the blessed people. Or because of they will be given their book in their right hand so they're known by it like a label. Or oh, you're the people, you are Ashab al the people who took their book in their right hand. The people who took their book in their right hand. As opposed to the people who took their book in their left hand or behind, and behind their back. Sometimes Allah mentions the right hand and the left hand and sometimes Allah mentions the right hand and taking your book from behind your back. Some of the scholars joined between it and said, the disbelievers will take their book in their left hand behind their back. And some of them said that one is the munafiq and one is the kafir will take it the left and the munafiq from behind their back. And, and we don't really have a clear evidence one way or the other, but like that it's used. The, right, the people who take their book in the right hand. And even the name Yameen, even the name right-handed comes from Al-Yuman, Al-Barakah. It's as though the Arabs, in their usage of language, they named the hand after Barakah. Okay, this is a question though. Now we have a question. Why then is the left hand called Yasar? If the right hand is called Yameen, Min al from the issue of Barakah, why do you call the left hand Yasar? Min al-yusr. Min al-yusr. Some of them said it comes from... No, some of them said it comes from al-yusr, from ease. Like, and this is... 
a problem. What's easy about the, le the left hand? And the right hand is the hand of quwa, the hand of strength, right? We will seize him with the right hand. And yameen is used for... So why is the left hand... They say this is the example of labeling something with the opposite. You know, they, in Arabic, we don't use crude words. You know, generally, Arabic is a very beautiful language like that. We don't use rude, crude words for things. Even if you look at how... You know, and, and there's a real lesson will lie in this. If you look at how Arabic deals with sensitive, uh, embarrassing issues, very, very gentle words, unlike if you see the state of the schools today and what they teach the kids, they can't, because everything for them is sarih, yani. everything for them is just like the most vulgar, the most, you know, they just can't, they just have to, they only have one word for things and it's rude, you know, they don't have like, Soft ways of saying things They don't have nice ways and soft ways of saying things As for Arabic, Arabic is full of very soft and subtle ways of saying things And one of the things they do is They name something by its opposite They name something by its opposite So they take something that is And they name it uh, they name it the opposite. So the example, the Sheikh gave one of the examples, like the example of the ladir, the one who has been stung, calling them Salim, or the one who is blind, calling them Al-Basir, the one who can see. And instead of saying that blind man, sometimes in Arabic they refer to him as the one that can see. And he's referring to it by the, by the opposite, as a subtle way. So some of them said this is one of the reasons why they called the left hand al-yasar. In this in this ayah though, after Allah Azawajal mentioned the after Allah Azawajal uh, mentioned uh, the right hand, the people of the right hand, he then said, "Walladina kafaru biayatina hum ashabul mashama." And those who disbelieve in our signs, they are the people of Al-Mash'ama. Allah didn't call them the people of the Yasar. So why did Allah not call them the people of the Yasar? If, if we had Ashab al-Yameen, why do we not call them Ashab al-Yasar? Maybe for two reasons. Number one, because it gives the impression of yusr, right? That things are going to be easy for them. But also because there are two meanings of mash'ama. Mash'ama can mean the left-hand side and it can mean a shu'm, the wretched people. The people of a shu'm, the people who are like shaqi. They're wretched and they are, you know, they're cursed. And they are bringing evil upon themselves. So the people who disbelieve in the ayat of Allah Azza wa Jal are the opposite of the people of Iman. These now we talk about the opposite. These people disbelieve in the ayat of Allah. They don't feed the poor person. They don't feed the poor person. They don't look after the orphan. They disbelieve in the ayat of Allah. 
What's the outcome for those people? They're not from the people of Iman. The outcome is Ulaika Walladina Kafaru bi ayatina Hum and those people who disbelieve in our ayat, Hum Ashabul Mash'ama. They are the people of the left hand side. Either because they will receive their book in their left hand or behind their back or and behind their back or because they are the people of wretchedness. They're the people who are shaqi, they're wretched. They're not, and the opposite of that is Sa'id, right? The people who are happy. Like a Shafi'i said, فَمِنْهُمْ شَقِيٌّ وَمِنْهُمْ سَعِيدٌ وَمِنْهُمْ قَبِيحٌ وَمِنْهُمْ حسن. There are people who are wretched, there are people who are happy, as in eternally happy in paradise. There are people who are wretched. They bring about evil upon themselves and, about, and upon other people. They're no good for themselves, they're no good even for the creation of Allah, even if the creation of Allah doesn't see it. Maybe they don't see it, but they're no good for anybody. They don't bring any barakah, so we don't call them yameen. Because they don't bring any human, they don't bring any, any barakah, any khair. They don't bring anything. What did Allah say about them in Surah Al-Bayyinah? They're the worst of creation. They're worse than the cattle. Sharrul-Bariya. And the worst of everything that Allah created. Worse than the animals, worse than the insects. Worst, the worst of the worst. Sharrul-Bariya, the worst of all the things that were created. They don't bring any good for themselves. They don't bring any good for other people. They're the people who they leave the orphan. They don't feed the poor. Or if they feed the orphan and the poor, which is a rarity, even if they do this, it doesn't bring any good back to anyone because they didn't do it with Iman. And so it doesn't have any barakah in it. There's no barakah in what they do. And that's why they are, they are, they are ashab. Al-Mash'amah, the people of the left hand, alayhim narun mu'sada. Upon them will be a fire that is mu'sada. Mu'sada we mentioned in Surah Al-Humaza. We said mu'sada means mughlaqa. It will be closed upon them. And we said one of the meanings of mu'sada, meaning mughlaqa, is that the fire will enclose them, trap them. You know, you imagine when the fire is really hot, just in this dunya, you move away from it, it's instinctive, right? You know, you, you, you burn your hand, you, you move away. You instinctively rem get, you go far away from the fire. But what would you do if you were closed? You remember Surah Humazah, we said, what would you do if there was, you know, la qaddar Allahu dhalik, a fire in a room and you're locked inside. The fire is burning and you can't go left, you can't go right. The door doesn't open, the window doesn't open. You're locked inside like a box. That's how Allah describes the hellfire. There's no room for you to move away from the fire. It's not like you can go away from it for even a second, not even just a little bit away from it. You are locked inside with it. Alayhim narun mu'sada. There's no way out from it. Uh, and there's no... Any, uh, Ibn Abbas, he said, مُغْلَقَةُ abwab. He said, all the doors are closed. And Tahak uh, and others, they said, La baba lahu. There's no way out from it. There's no door to get out from it. 
And some of them said other things. If you go back to the tafsir of Surah Al-Humaza, we explained it more there. Any jidarun la babala, walls that have no doors. Qatada, he said, la dawa fiha, wala faraj, wala khuruj minha, akhirul abad. He said, it's, there's no light in it, there is no escape from it, there is no way out from it, forever. And this is the meaning of Mu'sada. Before we finish, I wanted to read you some of what Imam Ibn Qayyim ta'ala, he said about this surah. And I left this to the end, even though Ibn Qayyim, we actually, were, I was going to mention this in the very first lesson, but he talks about the whole uh, surah, to be honest. But I just wanted to mention a part of it. He said, and I'm just going to mention the English because it's, it's going to take us too long to do Arabic and English together. But he said, I'll mention bits and pieces. He said, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rebuked man who thinks and guesses that there is no one that has ability over him or that the one who created him has no ability over him. The one who created them in, in this difficulty and this hardship and the strength of the things that he faces in this life. For indeed, the one who created him is more deserving of being powerful over him. And he has more deserving of being powerful over him. If he created you and created all of this life and with all of its kebad, its hardships and toil and shidda, then that one is more deserving of being in control over you. It's more, it's more likely to be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is in, has this qudra, this power over you. And then Ibn Qayyim, he said, so how can he have power over others if he doesn't even have power over himself? Any mankind. Is it Adhan time now? Okay, we pause for the Adhan. It's time. Whenever, at that time, we have time to pause. It's time.
So he said, Rahimullah ta'ala, this evidence on its own shows that Allah Azza wa Jal, if Allah is the one who created you like that, that Allah is capable of giving you recompense. And it shows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the attributes of complete power and complete knowledge. And then Allah Azza wa Jal further clarified this by saying, Does he believe that nobody sees him? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is able to count and enumerate all the things that that person did, whether good or bad. And he is able, the one who is able to take a person to account and to judge a person based on the good and the bad that they did. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rebuked the man by saying, That I have wasted wealth piled upon itself. And it is the wealth that is piled up on top of each other. So this person took pride in wasting all of this wealth and spending it on things he was not allowed to spend it upon. If he had spent it upon the things he was supposed to, he would not have said, Ahlaktu, I wasted it. Rather, it would have been a means of nearness to Allah. And it would have been a means for Allah's pleasure and Allah's reward. And that is not ihlak. It's not destroying it or wasting it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rebuked him because of his pride. And this man's pride that he spent all of this wealth in that which is, uh, which is forbidden. And the fact that this person turned away from Allah in the way that he spent it. Then Allah said, Ayahsabu an lam yarahu ahad. Allah showed here uh, that, that uh, and does he believe, and this is in the past, does he believe that nobody saw him spending this wealth in haram? And that's why Allah spoke about it in the in the past. Ayahsabu an lam and in the past, he thought nobody saw him spending this wealth. Then Allah mentioned another evidence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is more deserving of seeing him. And that is that Allah created two eyes by which this person can see. So how is it that Allah can give you two eyes and then Allah cannot see what you do? It's a benefit Ibn Qayyim mentioned from the ayah. If Allah gave you your two eyes so you can see, how can you then believe that Allah can't see what you do? If Allah was able to give you your two eyes, is Allah not more deserving of being able to see what it is that you do? And how is it that Allah Azza wa can give you the ability to explain yourself through your lips and your tongue? And so you are able to express what is in yourself. And then Allah Azza wa Jalla, or then the person is able to command for things and so on. Is it the case that this, this person, or he says actually something very powerful, the way he said it, he said, وَهَلْ كَمَالُ الْمَخْلُوقِ مُسْتَفَادٌ إِلَّا مِنْ كَمَالِ خَالِقِهِ he said, when you see the perfection that exists within creation, does this not lead you to believe or to understand how perfect your creator is? 
when you look at your ability to speak, do you not think that Allah will give you revelation that is greater and more eloquent and more clearly expressed than the speech that you have? Or does a person say that Allah gave me the ability to speak, but then he says that Allah could not explain to me what I have to do? Or does he say that Allah gave me sight, but Allah can't see what I do? This is rebuking the people of the mushrikeen who used to say that we don't think that Allah sees much of what we do. And the people who used to believe that there is no recompense, but they still believe Allah created them. And so on. And then he mentions about the najdain. He mentions about the, tree, the path to good and the path to evil. Is that one who showed you the path of good and evil not more deserving of having knowledge? In other words, when you know that Allah showed you the path of good and evil, does this not show you the complete knowledge of Allah? And whoever guided you to these two paths, how can it be that if Allah showed you the path of good and the path of evil that you've been left suda, you've been left without any guidance? How can you be left without any guidance if Allah is the one who showed you the two paths? Allah showed you what harms you, showed you what benefits you, showed you what harms you in the dunya and what benefits you in the dunya, and showed you what harms you in the akhirah and what benefits you in the akhirah, even the food you eat, what is poisonous and what is healthy. Allah showed you all of that. And then you think you've been left without guidance. So here Ibn al-Qayyim, he says, how can it be a person believes that Allah has shown them the natural instinct, but Allah hasn't given them guidance. How can that be? Allah, Allah has showed you what's allowed to eat, what's not. Allah has made natural things for you, but then Allah hasn't given you any guidance. Can that be true? Allah has left you suda without anything, just lost. Well, it can't be true. If Allah has shown you what to eat and what not to eat, then min babi awla, it's more deserving that Allah has shown you who to worship and who not to worship. And then he said, وَهَلِ النُّبُوَّةِ وَالرِّسَالَةِ إِلَّا لِتَكْمِيلِ هِدَايَةِ النَّجْدَيْنِ He said, and was it not the case that prophethood and messengership was sent to complete these two paths? In other words, complete the guidance to these two paths. So a person starts with instinct, right? Fitrah. Like you have an idea, but that fitrah isn't enough. It isn't the end of the road. It just gets you started on the road. Nobody uses fitrah as a dalil, which on its own, dalilul mustaqil. Nobody says, for example, you have to become a Muslim. Why? Because it's natural. Okay, but can you explain more? No, that's it. Now, it's not a dalil mustaqil, it's a beginning. It starts you on a path. Okay, I agree with you naturally. Yes, it feels right, it looks right, it seems right. Then what do you have? An nubuwa wa risala. You have prophethood and messengership. Litakmil al hidayah ila najday. To guide you to complete which or hidayatun najdain, not ila al najdain, hidayatun najdain, to show you which path is good. And which path is bad? So now, the, when, again, when you're talking to someone in a da'wah concept or, or context, 
and someone says to you that you know you started by showing them that it's natural to believe in God it's natural it's normal it's fitrah but then you have to bring them something else you can't leave it there now you have to bring them you have to bring them what was said by the prophets and the messengers you have to bring them revelation wahi you have to bring them min the text of the quran and the sunnah you can't leave them with just this idea that look you know if you look at everything if you look around you okay now you believe there's a creator don't you want to worship him okay become muslim no you can start someone off thinking about Look around you. Look at your own self. There's signs of Allah Azza wa Jal. Look at the heavens and the earth. In the heavens and the earth and the difference of the night and the day, there are signs. Those signs are not in themselves the only thing that you have. You have those signs and then you have an nubuwa wa risala. To finish. What this started. You, you look at the heavens, you look at the stars, like the argument Ibrahim made for his people. When the night time came, he saw a star, he said, This is my Lord. When it went down, he said, I don't like things that go away, I and mean, my Lord is not one who goes away. When he saw the moon come out, he said, this is my Lord. He said, if Allah doesn't guide me, my Lord doesn't guide me, I'm going to become from the misguided people. When he saw the sun bright, he said, this is my Lord, this is bigger, greater. When the sun disappeared, he said, Oh, my people, I have dedicated my worship to Allah alone. By the way, this was not the belief of Ibrahim. This was only for the purpose of, in the purpose of argument. Ibrahim is saying that you look at the stars, you believe it's your Lord, but the star goes away, the moon goes away, the sun goes away. This is natural, it leads you to believe, okay, I need to worship something that doesn't go away. Then what happens? Then comes revelation. And revelation completes the job. That the people don't have any hujjah, any evidence, any argument against Allah after the prophets and the messengers. That's one of the benefits that he, that he mentioned. Uh, so after he mentioned this benefit... He said, this is a evidence, this is all a evidence for the existence of the Creator and His perfect attributes and the truth of His messengers and their promise. It's very, very nice what he said. فَدَلَّ هَذَا كُلُّهُ عَلَىٰ إِثْبَاتِ الْخَالِقِ وَصِفَاتِ كَمَالِهِ وَصِدْقِ رُسُلِهِ وَوَعْدِهِ all of these things that Allah mentioned is an evidence that the Creator exists, that He has perfect attributes, and that the Prophets were truthful, and the promise of Allah is truthful. He said, These are the usul of your iman, the foundations of your iman, 
that all of the prophets agreed upon min awwalihim ila akhirihim from the first of them to the last of them and if a person thinks about their situation and how they were, they were created they will find it from the greatest of evidences for the correctness of what the prophets said and to confirm any one confirms the other right you have now if a person just looks at themselves and how they were created this is from the clearest of evidences for the truth of the religion of Islam and worshipping Allah alone. He said, so it would be enough for a person to think about himself and how he was created. He said, فَتَكْفِي الْإِنسَانِ فِكْرَتُهُ فِي نَفْسِهِ وَخَلْقِهِ If a person just thinks about himself and how he was created, it would be enough for him. والرسل بعثوا مذكرين بما في الفطر والعقول مكملين له. The prophets were sent to remind you of your fitra and to remind you of what your intellect understood when you just looked at yourself and how you were created. You understood you have a creator. The prophets were sent to remind you and to complete the job, complete the message. Yeah, to finish off the message. That message, it wasn't complete. It, it gave you a start. Okay, I have a creator. Just by looking at the stars and the sun and the moon, you can say, I have a creator. And it's not the star, it's not the sun, it's not the moon. But now I need to complete it. I need something, I need something to ikmal. I need to complete it, to bring it back together now. So the messengers come and they complete the message for you. And then he said, لِتَقُومَ عَلَى الْعَبْدِ حُجَّةُ اللَّهِ بِفِطْرَتِهِ وَرِسَالَتِهِ He said, so that the person, the evidence, the argument is complete against them. Through the fitra and through the risala. Through the fitra and the risala. And this, by the way, is a strong evidence in responding to the way of the mutakallimin the philosophers and the people of rhetoric as it relates to proving Allah's existence. And we don't prove Allah's existence through logic. You only need two things to prove that you have to worship Allah. You prove it through the person's fitra and through the risala. That's the hujjatullah. Al-fitra wal risala the, re the revelation. That's what you need. You don't need to draw somebody a diagram. And you don't need to bring logic into it. And you don't need to talk about Huduth al-Ajsam or anything like this, that, that, all of this kind of stuff. You don't need it. You only need to talk about a person's nature and the message. That's it. Allah established his evidence against people through the fitra and through the risala, through their nature and through the message. And then he said, And with these two things, the evidence was established against them. And when this evidence was established against this person, they still didn't try to cross that mountain path that was between them and between their Lord. That the person will not reach their Lord until they cross it. And they cross it by freeing a slave 
and that is to free them from slavery so that Allah will free them from the slavery of themselves and the slavery of their enemy. Allah sometimes Ibn al-Qayyim says things that Allah just amazes you. He said, That Allah takes you away from, if you can free a slave, Allah will free you from the slavery of yourself and the slavery of the shaitan. We said Ibn Qayyim's poetry in his Nuniya, he said, They ran away from the slavery they were created for and they became slaves to themselves and slaves to the shaitan. So if a person frees someone from slavery, in reality they're freeing themselves from slavery. They're freeing themselves from the slavery of themselves, the slavery of the soul, jealousy and being attached to your wealth. Abdul dinari wa dirham, the worshipper of the dinar and the dirham. They're freeing themselves from that by the permission of Allah. By freeing the slave, they free themselves from the slavery of... They, Allah frees them from the slavery of themselves and the slavery of their enemies. And when they feed the poor person, the miskeen, on a day of poverty, and with sincerity to Allah, because the condition of good deeds is al-ikhlasu wal-mutaba'ah. You have to do... You have to be sincere and you have to follow the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So if a person does this with sincerity to Allah, that is the pure right of Allah, and believes in what Allah has informed them, and obeys Allah in what they have been commanded to do, and seeks the face of Allah, and advises others, and any advises others to advise them with righteousness and mercy, and accepts the advice of the people who advise them, and is patient and merciful in themselves, helpful towards other people to be patient and merciful. So whoever doesn't cross this mountain path and dies without, without going over it, and dies disconnected from their Lord, then this is the person who is not going to reach him and the person who is mahjuban anhu, who is concealed from him. And the people are of two types. One who is saved, and this person is the one who crossed over the mountain path and became from the people who, who reached the other side of it. Who reached the other side of it. And the other category is the one who is destroyed. And this is the one who dies without crossing over that mountain path. And they are the majority of the people. And nobody crosses over this path except for the believers, the people of success. Because it is a hard path. He says it is a hard path. It has difficulties on it. Nobody can cross it except for the one who is khafif al-dhahr. It's amazing what he said. He said, he said, "La yaktaruha illa khafif al-dhari." The only one who can cross over this mountain is one who's not carrying too much weight. It's light, light in their weight. What does he mean by that? Light in their sins. وَهُمْ يَحْمِلُونَ أَوْزَارَهُمْ عَلَىٰ ظُهُورِهِمْ عَلَىٰ سَاءَ مَا يَزِرُونَ They're holding their sins upon their back. Someone who has so many sins on their back, they can't cross over this path. The only way you cross a mountain is if you're lightweight. You can't cross a mountain if you're big and heavy. And we're not big and heavy, we're not talking about how much food you eat. 
but you're big and heavy with sins. You've got too many sins. You can't cross that path. You can't cross that path. Then he said, وَهُمْ أَصْحَابُ الْمَيْمَنَةِ They are the people of the right-hand side. And those people who are destroyed without crossing over the path, they didn't believe in what they were told. And they didn't obey the command that they were given. They are أَصْحَابُ الْمَشْأَمَةِ They are the people of the left. And the hellfire will be closed upon them. And it will be closed upon them and they will not be able to go out from it. As... He said, كَمَا أَطْبَقَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ أَعْمَالُ الْغَيْءِ وَالْإِعْتِقَادَاتِ الْبَاطِلَةِ الْمُنَافِيَ لِمَا أَخْضَرَتْ بِهِ رُسُلَةِ He said, just like their hearts were sealed, just like their hearts were sealed by misguidance and false beliefs, اعتقادات باطلة, evil beliefs and false beliefs, that went against what the messengers said, so the hellfire will be sealed upon them the way that their hearts were sealed. And in the way that their hearts were sealed with false beliefs and evil actions, the hellfire will be sealed upon them in that way. And in this way it will be sealed upon them, and the fire will be sealed upon them, so their bodies will not be able to ever go out from it. And then he said, فَتَأَمَّلْ هَذِهِ الصُّورَةِ he said, so think about this surah that is so short. It's very short. But look at all of the knowledge and iman that is found within it and successes from Allah. This is just a part of what Ibn Qayyim he said about this particular, uh, which Ibn Qayyim said about this particular surah. Uh, this topic uh, it, it tells us actually something That last statement of Ibn Al-Qayyim It tells us something quite important Generally the surahs that are in Juz Amma The small Qisar surah The small surahs Or Qisar al-Mufassal The small Mufassal surahs the, the small surahs with the short ayat Generally the meanings are very deep that doesn't mean the meanings are not deep in Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah Al-Imran, but there is more. There is a difference in style. The style of, of the longer surahs is more of an explanation, more detail. And the style of the surahs in Juz Amma is a very, very short ayat that have lots of meanings behind them. So this is something to pay attention to. It doesn't mean that the whole, when we make the tafsir, we finish the tafsir, of the, that it will always be a, like, if Surat Al-Balad took us four, time, four lessons, it doesn't mean that necessarily Surat Al-Baqarah will take 400. It's not, but, but what happens is these are the surahs which have lots of meanings in very short space, which is probably why, one of the reasons why the Prophet ﷺ used to read them a lot in the salah. We know that, right? The Prophet ﷺ, he used to lead the people with al-mufassal, the, the, the surahs with the short ayat. So he used to lead the people with qiwal al-mufassal and qisar al-mufassal, the long ones like surah qaf and the short ones like surah al-nas and surah al-falaq. But what's the benefit? The ayat are very short, but the meanings are very, very deep. 
So a person can memorize just a small amount, but can get all of the meanings of the Qur'an are found in these Mufassal surahs, the whole, like a summary of the Qur'an. And what did we say about Surah Al-Fatiha? We said Surah Al-Fatiha is a summary of the Qur'an. When we did the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha, we said Surah Al-Fatiha is a summary of the Qur'an. The whole Qur'an can be summarized in Surah Al-Fatiha. So it's like one summarizing the other, one summarizing the other. So Juzu Amma is like a summary for the Qur'an. And it brings most, many and most of the topics that are dealt with in the Qur'an, but with very, very short ayat. So it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of time to go into it. And we change. I mean, we don't go into so much detail every time. It depends on the topic. Did you have a question? Surah Al-Asr. What did the Shafi'i say about Surah Al-Asr? If this was the only Surah that was revealed to the people, it would be enough for them. Meaning a Shafi'i, he saw Surah Al-Asr that it summarized the whole of Islam. Wal-Asr, inna al-insana lafi khusr, illa al-ladheena amanu wa'amilu salihati wa tawasaw bil-haqqi wa tawasaw bil-sabr. A Shafi'i used to say, this is Islam, the whole of Islam is here. This is all of the Quran can be found in this Surah. So this is why these surahs have a lot of meanings. Yes, we had some question on YouTube. Yes, definitely. This is a very good question. Make sure you put it, that question on the screen. When you're giving da'wah to people, you're calling people to Allah Azza wa Jal, you need to stay upon the methodology of the Prophet Because da'wah is ibadah, right? Da'wah is an act of worship. Ibadah has to be done the way you've been shown. You can't do ibadah however you like. We're going to pray Salatul Isha in five minutes, inshallah. When we pray Salatul Isha, we're not going to pray ten raka'at, inshallah. We're going to pray four raka'at. Why? Because al-ibadah to tawqifiyya. Ibadah, you have to do it the way you've been shown. You can't do it how you like. You have to do it the way you've been shown. So likewise, da'wah is the same. And so when you go into deep theological debate, to be honest, you don't benefit anybody. You don't benefit people. What you need to do is to stick to the methodology of the Qur'an. So I remember, I've said this before, but I asked, I asked this question, Sheikh Abdul Razak al-Badr. I asked Sheikh, I said to him Regarding how much should you use logic when giving da'wah I said to him, Sheikh How much shall we use logic when we give da'wah? To what extent shall we use adilla aqliya Like logical proofs And what he said to me in paraphrasing is That you need to use the adilla, the evidences Which are logical within the Qur'an the adilla which are aqliya, but their adilla shar'iyya, their adilla that is mentioned in the Quran. As for a person who uses the evidences which are logical, but they came from Plato and Aristotle and the Greeks and the Romans and the Christians and the Jews, this person will never be successful in the da'wah. They can probably write a doctorate thesis, but wallahi, they will never be successful in the da'wah, never, ever, ever. They will not be successful. This deep theolo theological discussions and debates and whatever, you don't need it. 
look at comparative religion. This person comes, I tell you 5,000 things about your religion. I don't need to know 5,000 things about the batil. I just need to know one thing about the haqq. I don't need to know this comparative religion. Yeah, it's okay. You know, leave a few people who have expertise in it when it's needed. But for every da'iyah to know everything about Hinduism, wallahi, if you ask him shurut al-salah, la ya'rifuha. He doesn't know them. He doesn't know how to pray. But he knows enough about Hinduism that he could teach the Hindu priest how to pray. And he doesn't, wallah, he doesn't know how to read Surah Al-Fatiha. And he says, this is da'wah. Wallah, it's not da'wah. The person who knows Plato and Aristotle and quotes about the Greeks and the Romans and the Indian philosophers. And wallah, if you ask him, la ilaha illallah, he doesn't know it. So how are you going to give da'wah? The Prophet ﷺ was not taught about Judaism and Christianity. He was not given the Torah to be recited to him. He was not given the scriptures of the people. He was given the Qur'an. So you limit yourself to the evidences that are logical in the Qur'an. The Sheikh gave an example. He said, for example, أَمْ خُلِقُوا مِنْ غَيْرِ شَيْءٍ أَمْ هُمُ الْخَالِقُونَ أَمْ خَلَقُوا السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ بَلْ لَا يُوقِنُونَ Were they created from nothing or did they create themselves or did they create the heavens and the earth? Rather, they are not certain. This is a logical evidence, but it's adillatun min al-adillati al-aqliyati al-shar'iyya. The evidence that is logical, but is found in the Qur'an. And that's what a person should limit themselves. Last, last, last one. What was the argument they were discussing? What were they? It's alright, they figured it out. Shall we just summarize for them that Allah Azza wa Jal mentioned the creation of man from water and from turab and from teen. Yeah? Allah mentioned the creation of man from ma, water, turab, dust, and teen, which is clay. How do we bring it together? Mix water and dust, you get clay. That's how, that's it. It's very simple, yani. They, they don't contradict it themselves, yani. All of those three come together. Teen is al ma turab. Generally, when, when this last question we deal with because time for salah, but generally, when the Quran, uh, when Allah speaks about the disbelievers, the, it's not speaking about the disbelievers in the past, it's speaking about those people who are disbelievers at this moment. Uh, like, as in when Allah addresses the disbelievers, say, O you who disbelieve. Because at the end of the day, this is this is Allah's proof. That Allah has sent down to, to mankind, right? To show them what is right and what is wrong. But yes, there are examples given of people in the past. And there are examples of how the Sahaba used to be. For example, the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal. وَذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذْ كُنْتُمْ أَعْدَاءً فَأَلَّفَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِكُمْ فَأَصْبَحْتُمْ بِنِعْمَتِهِ إِخْوَانًا And you remember the grace of Allah upon you. When you were all enemies to each other and then you became brothers. But as for this ayah, it's not the same person. It's not the same person. It's contrasting the two. Contrasting the Ashab al Yameen and Ashab al Mash'ama, the people on the right and the people on the left. That's what Allah made easy for us to mention. Allah knows best. Salatu salam alaybina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Jazakumullah khairan for watching. Please subscribe, share, 
and you can visit muhammadtim.com.